Hi everyone, welcome to Backstage with Blur the Border with me, Surbhi Shukla. This is a weekly podcast where we go behind the scenes with some of the best fashion stylists in the country. Prayag Menon's work is unapologetically subtle and elegant. It never fails to make a statement. His early dreams were to become a pilot, but through the series of life's turns, he's landed in the world of editorial styling and art direction. In 2016, he joined Harper's Bazaar India as a contributing fashion editor, serving as a pivotal moment in his journey. Since then, his work has also been featured in L India, Vogue, GQ South Africa and Vogue Arabia. Prayag, I'm so excited for our conversation. Welcome to the show. Hi, Surbi. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So, Prayag, of course, we've known each other for a little while. We have. Um, but can you tell me a little bit about your early days and how you got your start in the industry? Well, um, it was 2012 and uh, Porus, my husband, who's a photographer, just came back from Vancouver after completing his year's diploma in photography. And he started developing his portfolio here in Bombay. And I essentially just began helping him with that. So I, you know, so he would look for somebody to help style his shoots and his, you know, his new portfolio. And I said, you know, well, I'll help you. It's fine. You know, we live together anyway. And I was always interested in fashion since I was a child, but I I did not ever think it would become a career for me because naturally I was still trying to join an airline as a pilot. Tell me about that. How, how did that <laughs> shift? Super incidental, really. So um, I met Porus in 2006. We decided to, um, you know, soon after train to be pilots because we also felt it would give us a chance to be together and live together. So we went to Texas, did our training, uh, came back to India. Um, and yeah, we just gave our exams, kept studying and got, got our licenses and all of that got done. Uh, then Porus's dad, um, was diagnosed with cancer. He was terminal. Uh, he passed soon after in a few months and, uh, Porus decided he wanted to do something more creative with his life. So he, you know, switched and he felt that photography was the medium of his choice. And he went on to study photography, like I said, in Vancouver for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very, of course, clear that I would continue with aviation and, you know, um, pursue this career and join an airline and all of that will happen. Um, But when he came back and I started helping him, you know, style his shoots, uh, one thing really led to another and people started, you know, noticing because Porus would tag me on every shoot and write style by and stylist and things like that. And people from the industry started seeing it and um, they began reaching out and I was just like, oh my God, what's happening? I mean, I don't, I don't want to do this obviously as a, as a career at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very clear on what I want to do. And so Porus said, you know, instead of waiting, you know, just waiting for your twenties to pass for in a job and, you know, just waiting for employment to happen. Why, why don't you see how this goes? Because this was around the time where the aviation industry was going. Yeah. 2011, 2012 around yeah. then. Right. So I said, okay. And then, and literally, I just began from there. So it was like learning the ropes on the job, I guess. So you're self-taught? Yes. What was that like? <laughs> it was overwhelming. But um, I think it was it was good because I met some wonderful people along the way uh, who were very helpful and, um, you know, guided me. And I think I had Porus 
with with whom I you know we we both it it's a very symbiotic relationship that we have creatively. I learned a lot from him, and I think I um, also happen to you know always have something or the other like critique and feedback to give him on his work. So I think we essentially just learned off each other and started exploring and uh, bettering ourselves on every shoot that we uh, embarked on. So you are, as I've told you before, one of my favorite stylists. Thank you. <laughs> um, and the reason behind that is when you look at something that you've worked on, it's very distinctly your personal style. Can you tell me a little bit about what your North Star is or what your approach is when you're styling something? How did you form, in, form this aesthetic, which is so uniquely yours? I come from an army background and... Um, I think uh, from my earliest memories, I always remember my my mother, my father, and and just people around me. Everyone was always very prim and put together. It really resonated with me. I think just how crisp and put together everyone was, and how they looked so finished, but um, without having to. I mean, it wasn't ostentatious at all. It was it was really very natural, and. And also, I think the women in my family, generally, I think I I really admired the way they all dressed. Even if it was, you know, wearing saris, I think everything was very neatly pleated and everything was in place, hair was in place and everything looked really good. So I think, um, I think those were my earliest influences. I think uh, the idea of you know, um, of presenting yourself as put together, I think ideally made me feel I think good and in control. <laughs> <laughs> control being the operative word. What were, your, what were the challenges that you faced in the early days? I think for me, one of the earliest challenges was to figure my way and to figure what I wanted to get out of this career and this field. Uh, whether, what did I really enjoy or what, where did I see myself and how would I go about achieving that? So I think, um, and also, I think it was about reaching out to people and I think finding, you know, people who could guide me or be mentors or, you know, um, just generally have um, have an idea. I think I had no idea when I stepped into this um, this field because it, it all happened so suddenly that I, I just didn't know. And I think for me, the biggest challenge was to figure out what I really wanted. And... Um... How did you sort of teach yourself? Like, what was that journey like? I started styling a lot of test shoots. I figured that that's the best way to really figure figure the way out in terms of, you know, styling, put together, cohesiveness, how to have looks in one shoot look like they are all connected. I think because, like I was saying, my earliest challenge was to figure what I wanted. And I re- quickly realized it was editorial work. And I really enjoyed you know, uh, flipping through magazines and looking at editorials. And I think I saw myself doing a lot of editorial work. So for me, I think I had to hone my skill and understand how to translate what I'm thinking into an actual shoot, into a picture, into a look. So I think that took me a lot of practice. And I think that was, that was, I think, the best thing. And what was the defining project for you that made you feel like you were a stylist? Or served as an inflection point in your career. I think it was the I think it was the my debut editorial for Harper's Bazaar when we did it in New York City, mm-hmm. and uh, 
it was it was wild because uh, we were literally on our own we had to produce the shoot by ourselves and we were on vacation and um, it was just a lot to do because there were so many call-ins and there, i was coordinating with multiple brands across various time zones and then we pulled it off and and then obviously i saw it published in the september issue of the magazine and i just felt it was incredible yes that's definitely validating as a yeah. creative you said that you worked on this project with porus as you do with many of um, your projects um what is that process like from start to finish so porus and i are actively involved in each other's work and we also treat the shoot as a collective vision of course so it's not like we are on separate uh, trajectories working towards the same goal we are on a very consistent similar trajectory you know so uh we will conceptualize together porus is actively involved in say collins i i run my shortlist by him so i make an initial shortlist and then i run that by him and then we decide together on what would work uh and similarly even over the photography aspect in terms of the set or the lighting or the mood and things like that just so i feel like it it creates a very unified vision in terms of the uh, final shoot that comes about even with casting art direction so many aspects i think i think it's it's a very involved process with the two of us and of course you know when you're working with him you obviously have a lot of insight into how he works and what his process is um does that inform your work yes it does because um because i work with him extensively and i understand a lot of his technical aspects of what he does so in in um, for example lighting or you know his compositions or just generally how he you know what he tends to enjoy yeah. i think um it it does affect my selections and i i usually envision the the garment or the product that we are going to be shooting in under his treatment or under his condition and um i think that helps me pick clothes accordingly which i feel will um you know and which i think really helps me sort of curate it down based on how what i think would look really good under his lighting and his way of shooting them so i think it, it that's what it helps me with yeah sounds like it helps you edit what you it does it does so moving on into the next segment of the podcast we're going to do a little bit of a deep dive okay. um obviously because we're both stylists we have a little bit of a birds eye view of the industry um but i wanted to get your perspective on a few things like you mentioned a little bit earlier on porus and you have worked in india and abroad what are the distinct differences um when you're working here versus abroad i find it's very um there's a lot of convenience working here it, it <laughs> <laughs> like how you just have a lot of people to help you with everything yeah. which i think is great and i think it does wonders for your back and um, <laughs> i really uh, began to appreciate that when i moved to canada and i worked there for 3 years um it was physically exhausting work i i mean in addition to it also being mentally demanding i don't know it's just simply because there's not enough people i don't know but um that's that's one of the biggest things right i think it really made me appreciate our industry and the ease and convenience of everything that we have here i i do agree with you when you say that there is convenience and there is a certain sense of ease because you know there's 
so much help provided to you. But I don't think that it's all that simple because there's a lot of like, um, I don't know, discomfort in the way that people work until the point as you get to the set. Yes. Right? Yes. I think that that is a whole other thing. Which is why we both excel in running a tight ship. Uh-huh. That is true. And, um, you know, of course, social media lends itself to our work really well because it's such a visual platform and styling as an occupation is such a visual gig. Absolutely. Um, it has changed our jobs to a large extent because of how easily everyone consumes our content. Yeah. Um, but the recognition is still quite slow. I would not say that, you know, somebody who's talented and has been working for many years gets the recognition that they do deserve. Yeah. In your opinion, how would you want that to shift? The biggest change rather should be crediting your team. Which I feel like many people don't do. And I just don't understand why. I think the erasure is a very rampant problem. Y yes. Yeah. It really is. And and I think despite people talking about this and people do talk about this, I feel like everyone somehow doesn't seem to get the memo or they don't want to get the memo. But uh, it begins with people demanding that they not be erased or their work not be erased or just, you know, discredited. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Now coming specifically to editorial styling with the decline of print media, um, the surge of content in the digital space has evolved largely, especially over the last couple of years. Um, how has this impacted the role of art directors and editorial stylists? In my case, I think it made me realize that I can't just be a one-trick pony. So what happened during um, the onset of COVID was I was, we were stuck in our apartment in Toronto and obviously there was no way to churn out any sort of content because what do you do as a stylist, right? There is no model, there are no clothes, what do you do? So essentially we just began documenting our lives and I just started creating content on my own. And I also realized that in addition to just having to now style a shoot, it also made me learn that it's important for me to offer more services towards the creation of a shoot, which is art direction, conceptualization, creative direction, things like that. Because I think you need to offer more services and bundle in more into the package Yeah. Um, to really stay with the game. Uh, on a slightly different note, adopting sustainable practices have become increasingly important for our industry, especially because styling um, does require a lot you know, in terms of logistical planning and like careers and just because everybody wants a lot of options, yeah. right? Um, so it can be a little bit wasteful. Is there anything that you've um, adopted into your own process of styling that has helped you be a little bit more conscious in your, in your process? I actively try to present um, options through pictures. Yeah. I try to do that. To the best of my capacity. I I don't uh, encourage bringing in physical options so much because I also find that many times, and it's not just about editorial styling. Of course, editorial styling talks about samples which go back. That's fine. But in terms of, you know, say advertising or commercial projects, what often happens is once you purchase things, you can't give them back with many brands. So 
instead of creating this dead waste and things that don't get used and you know all of that what i try to do is i present options visually for people to like and approve and whatever it is so we're going to change the tack a little bit and okay. uh, move into the next segment which sure. is all about homegrown brands i want your thoughts cool um on the brands that you've come to love professionally and you know that have a spotlight in your own wardrobe okay um so name your homegrown brand in the category of jewelry oleo mm love uh dhora mm loon and bavia ramesh that's a good list strong yeah really different but all very cool Every, really uh, versatile in the sense that you can use them as like statement pieces exactly. but also everyday yeah um how about casual wear i like drawn polite society i like aroka yeah karu research really good really good <laughs> according to you what's a underrated homegrown brand i think dhora i really feel like dhora actually has i mean it it's such it's such an ex, it, everything looks so um refined and luxe but i just feel like i i don't hear so much about dhora all the time from people mm-hmm. but but it's so beautifully curated and it's 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 just amazing everything looks so good and the product is just great and when you want to create a powerful look what's your go to brand rahul mishra so good <laughs> so good what's your go to beauty brand I recently worked with um, a Kerala based skincare brand uh, they're called Gunam Beauty and and I also tried the product and they are incredible they're really good and I also like Pahadi Local What's the one product that you should you would recommend from, from Gunam and Pahadi Local I think that Gutti ka tel from Pahadi Local is really good I hope I pronounced it right but it's really good and um gunam has a really great foaming cleanser so here's a couple of questions to round up this segment what is most exciting to you about the future of homegrown brands i guess i'm very um, curious to see how far and wide they go and i think with everyone now tuning into the scene that's happening in india and people now becoming more and more aware uh with you know what india has to offer i think i'm quite excited actually to see how far and wide all the brands in india go what would you like to see change or evolve quicker in this space i think what i think what i really want to see is indian craftsmanship go on to a global scale and i think become really mainstream on a global platform like i don't want i i mean in my experience what's happened is i feel like when i've traveled and when i've even lived abroad i find that a lot of people are not aware of india beyond beyond uh, i don't know like varanasi and like marigolds and and i feel like there is just so much more that our country has to offer and specifically in the field of design and fashion yeah. and creativity you know and i think our craftsmanship is just you know it's just inimitable and i feel like that's what i want to see projected on a global scale yeah i think that that is beginning to happen and collectively as an industry 
I can't wait to see the homegrown brands coming to a forefront. No, um, really, because you know some of them like um, Harago and Karu Research are now on Essence. So many others, obviously, also retail at Bergdorf's and other major retailers now. But it's it's really nice to see younger brands, newer brands that also um, you know have so much of um, craftsmanship, embroidery, and local techniques in terms of construction. I think achieve that sort of a platform in such a quick time. Yeah. So I think that that is something that is really good. And I think it's just also so cool to see international stylists pick up on these things. Like, for example, Harry Styles' uh, stylist, Harry yeah. Lambert, yeah. uses so much Harago. Yes, yes. And Lewis Hamilton was wearing Karu Research yes. recently, which is also very exciting Absolutely. to see some peop- somebody pick up on this so early on. Exactly. Right? And that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Um. Of course, collaborations have always been a great way um, to, you know, blur the border between mm-hmm. the East and the West. What are collaborations that you have seen recently and resonated with? Well, I mean, the the latest one is, of course, the Dior and Chanakya show, which I think, I mean, everyone saw it and and it was just amazing. Mm-hmm. I I think it was great that in addition to just doing the show, they also visited the Chanakya school and they highlighted the the artisans and the the embroidery and the techniques and and I think the association between the two houses that's Dior and Chanakya and and you know how far back it goes and I think how um, you know how deep their relationship is and how involved it is in terms of the work that they create together for the house. So I I think that was definitely really very interesting to see. It's amazing to see like ancient Indian craft transcend yeah into like a modern day Dior. Exactly, dress. exactly. It's so and and so that's crazy, the thing, yeah. right? Like it's so it it really transcends time and it transcends so much and it becomes so relatable yeah. to any wearer. Yeah. What do brands Indian and international? Do you think could collaborate? I think like um, Scaparelli and um, Abujani Sandeep Khosla. Mm. Oh my gosh! Yes. Yeah. I think that would be very <laughs> interesting. Like, what would really come out of like that? Surrealism and yeah. maximalism. Yes. That would be insane to see. Now we're going to move into the next segment, which is an AMA that includes questions from the Blur the Border team. Um, as someone that's starting out in the industry, what is the one um, know before you begin advice you'd like to impart? Don't take anything personally. That's a really good one. How do you stay inspired and where do you draw your inspiration from? I think honestly, keeping a consciously positive mindset, you know, and I don't mean toxic positivity. I just mean that I count the positives and I... I, and I choose to remain grateful for the wonderful things in my life. And I think those really help me, uh, you know, maintain a very uh, fruitful state of mind and, uh, you know, remain inspired as opposed to, you know, something else that is, I don't know, that just feels so superficial and transient. No, it definitely comes across in your work. So thank you. It's working for you. Thank you. All right. So that is a wrap on our conversation. Prayag, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. This was a lot of fun. And that was our conversation with Prayag. If you enjoyed this episode, follow the podcast on your favorite streaming channel. The podcast is brought to you by Blur the Border, a community-driven marketplace. The show is produced by Ria Bambani and Vardhan Deshpande. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week.